0: Hello, and welcome to the MGMA Insider Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams, and today I'm joined by Susan Childs of Evolution Healthcare Consulting. In addition to her work as a healthcare consultant, Susan is also a frequent speaker at industry events, and she's a workshop trainer and an author. Well, Susan, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Um you've got a huge interest and focus on page, patient engagement um where did that come from and what can healthcare professionals learn from better patient engagement
1: So really I became involved with patient engagement from running practices and working with patients for a long long time I actually had a very sick friend who I was actually ended up being the collaboration of care between the doctors because they weren't talking to each other and A lot of mistakes were made with communication that could easily have been prevented if somebody had listened to her. And to me, the central focus is the patient and the physician. Everyone else can be replaced. So this is the role we have to support and protect. And that's what makes the partnership of care is the physician and the patient. And it's really not hard to add a lot of patient-centered policies into what you're already doing every day and when you have better engagement it's a win-win situation you have positive outcomes patients are happy to pay their bill a lot of times employers are uh, employers are happier employees are happier and it works really well and that's what the business we are in is taking care of patients
0: now this conversation is taking place during National Heart Month we're talking in early February and <laughs> What we've seen is it's a great opportunity for medical practices to further engage with patients and educate them on their health. What are some best practices you recommend uh, for a medical practice to take and so they can connect better with patients and help them take a more active role in their health?
1: You know, it's, it's it, again, it gets down to the doctor and patient in the room and how interested the patient is in becoming engaged. A lot of people I know will say to me, Well, they're the doctor, they're the one that should tell me. But then you also have people who walk in with a printout of what they think they have. So you have the best and worst of both worlds. But really, the best way is to communicate and to listen. I think physicians interrupt patients every 18 seconds, and that's improved. It used to be every 12 seconds. So if you take the time to listen, the patient will tell you more. And if the patient tells you more, they become engaged and they become a part of the decision making. Someone said to me that they were at their doctor's mercy, that they didn't really feel like they had a part of it. And if you find a doctor that will listen to you and be aware of what you need and answer your questions, and especially if you have printed questions that you're going to be asking, um, the doctor can respond in full. And I think that's part of it as well. It is a shared responsibility between the patient and the physician to communicate and ask those questions. I myself had a problem with a physician that I ended up leaving, and I said to her, I present on communicating, and you and I can't talk. This is not good. Right. So, yeah, so, and you have to be able to talk to them, because anyone can handle the sore throat, but when you're having the chest pain, 49% of people don't tell their doctors what's really going on, so you really have to be transparent and communicate. There's a lot of things already happening. There's the portal where you can communicate. There's patient education. There are support groups. Um, there are patient panels, um, all sorts of ways. And it's up to us to let the patients know about that because patients sometimes are afraid to ask. So it's how we offer it and what we're offering it and who's offering it.
0: Right. And communication is really at the heart of a, a wonderful article that you've written about healthcare that will appear in the March issue of MGMA Connections magazine. Uh, something that I really loved about that, that article uh, was that you looked at it from, you looked at communication from the patient's perspective. And I thought that was a, a unique angle that you took. What, one of the things that stood out to me from your writing is that communication, not only from the medical side, from the healthcare professional side, but also from the patient side. And and really that it's what you were talking about just a moment ago, how important it is from the physician or anyone else who's interacting with the patient to listen. It seems like the most simple thing in the world to just sit down and listen to what the patient has, but that often doesn't get done.
1: It doesn't get done because we are an instant society. We don't talk to each other anymore. You know, you go to an airport and you come out of the plane and everyone's looking at their screens. I do that. Um, You know, people are looking at their phones at lunch and then you put people next to each other three feet away at the front desk and expect to communicate and get along well. And you have to have some kind of established rapport and training with your people to make that happen. And with, with patients and physician communication, I find that has been covered a little bit But to me, it's just as important for the physician and the staff to communicate well so we can take care of the patient because the patient notices a lot of things. Um, And also, the more that we do not communicate, the more people tend to assume. And 95% of people walk into the door having an expectation and that's based upon their last experience. And if that can be a good or a bad one. Um, There was a practice I worked with in Tucson where patients would walk in and smiling and reaching for their wallets as the receptionist is very confidently asking for their copay and saying good afternoon. That's one way of doing it. Another way is when I was in um, a way to have a patient not become engaged is one practice I was working with and I was waiting in the lobby and I heard a patient walk up to the front desk to check in and she blurted out for everyone to hear, you have a bad debt, you can't be seen. I mean that's horrible. The man left in shame. You never want to put a patient in a place of shame. And that's another reason this is so important to me. I want patients to have access. I want physicians to be paid, but I want patients to have access. If they have access and they feel welcome, they will treat it that way. And if if they walk into the into the office and the front desk says hello and smiles at them, they're going to smile back. It relaxes them. Every little step along the way makes a big difference.
0: Right. And it does seem like these are just the most normal uh, best practices for communication in life, whether it's in a
1: common sense. Yeah,
0: uh, absolutely. So what is that next step? I mean, you, you mentioned one was just making good eye contact and smiling and saying hello. And as you, a a patient flows through the, you, you know, an appointment process, are there some other steps that the, the healthcare professionals can, can provide along the way that can just give them a good experience? Because often, if you're there to see a physician, things aren't going great for you, probably. So what are some other things they can do to, to make it as a good experience as possible for the patient?
1: You know, the best thing they can do is correlate the care and cross-referencing works really well, too. Um, If you cross-reference, for example, the the lab talking to a patient and says, well, Dr. Childs is very happy you're getting this lab work. We're really glad you're feeling better. When you confirm each other's role um, within the process, the patient feels more confident and they will become a part of the process more. You're covering each other. You're affirming each other. It's also a good way to get feedback because if there is somebody new in the lab, the physician can say, hey, how did you like Susan in the lab? And I'll either tell you whether I like Susan or not, but it's a great way to see how patterns are and it's a great way to show how physicians support staff and everybody's, again, supporting each other. Um, Communicating with closure also helps with patients. Sometimes patients don't know when treatment is done, or what to do next. So the patient um, will hear from the physician or PA, um, any kind of provider or nurse, things like, you're all set, you're ready to go, we don't need to see you back unless this happens again, we can do a return appointment in six months, and that way the patient knows, okay, over the next six months, this is what I need to do. Also, writing things down for patients helps a lot. As a consultant going into practices, I can remember everything, but as a patient, I'm jello. I don't remember a thing. Mm -hmm. So I have to write every single thing down. So if patients go in with written questions, and there are actually lists of questions from many websites that patients should ask a physician or a provider, as well as the physician and provider offering written information. A perfect example of that is follow-up instructions um, for for post-care from surgery. If you give something written, it's going to forego an awful lot of phone calls. The patient has a lot more control over it. They feel confident. They keep the directions on the refrigerator so everyone can see and take care of that person and they feel more empowered to help their family member. So it's a group effort as well.
0: Right. And in talking about communication and we look at good communication, when I think about that, there's a level of trust. And in the Connections article, you wrote about trust, and I I just wanted to know, what are some best practices a medical practice can do to to gain a patient's trust? Are there steps they can take? What do they need to do?
1: I think being very transparent, again, with communication, and that begins with your website, because 75% of your patients look at your website before they come see you. So if you offer, um, it's as basic as FAQs they can be seasonal they can be what can i expect upon my first visit and also be very transparent about the financial expectations because 35% of your patients now have a high deductible i think it's come to that amount that it may get higher and there's a lot of fear of approach and again if it's all about access and all about the patient and then becoming more involved if they know they can go in and set up a payment plan if they know that a wellness benefit is covered 100% if they know all of these things are available and what you expect forewarned is forearmed and the patient is more comfortable and you're separating the money from the care because they're not afraid of it anymore, they might be afraid of the amount that's due, but at least they know where they stand and how to approach it versus walking in and having that fear along with their health fears. So if you make them feel confident along the way, that really um, adds a lot. So the website is very good. Having a portal um, where you can request items and information, appointments, um, patient education going back and forth, and telemedicine, other things that are coming up will certainly help patients get engaged.
0: Right. Now, you work with medical practices and help them overcome their biggest challenges, provide them with solutions. And we were talking earlier about it being National Heart Month and, and thinking about engaging patients about education, about their health, about wellness programs. Um, with that in mind, with the practices you've worked with, do you, do you have any good success stories you'd want to share about the implementation of a health and wellness program or just getting out better engagement with those patients?
1: See, wellness from a patient point of view is a very interesting perspective because every single provider tells me but the first thing they do is they offer more patient education and they spend more time with the patient. So if that's the beginning basis with patients to give them more education, what do you do beyond that, right? So you have the support groups and there are a lot of specialties that have pain, unfortunately, involved with them. You have oncology, rheumatology, pain patients themselves, um, a lot of specialists, have to deal with a lot of patients in pain and support groups, really help patients become involved. PCMH also has gotten patients involved on a primary care level. Patient-centered medical home, part of it is having a patient panel. And I love that because they are the ones that can really troubleshoot what does, for example, your website offer me and what does it not offer me that I would love to know ahead of time. And how can I get access to my physician? That is the most important part. And that's where that crossover, again, comes in. If I call a nurse and I ask a question and they can tell me, well, the doctor is very happy with this that's going on and the results are much better and we're very pleased for your success, that breeds engagement. Anytime you have success with any kind of change in behavior, you are more apt to repeat it. So if I've been losing weight with my doctor and I continue to do so and she congratulates me on it, you better believe I'm going to keep doing it. That's an affirmation of what I'm trying to do with my health. And that's what we should be doing for our patients. And that helps positive outcomes as well. So being as transparent and open with financial obligations, having an open door for your patients to approach about payment plans so they can come in and be more involved in taking care of themselves before they get really sick, that's very key as well.
0: Susan, are there any additional steps or types of engagement that they need to take?
1: I would say physicians, especially working with younger patients, can really start them out young with self-reportables, such as reporting your glucose level over your phone and um, answering things via portal that you can do from any device. Uh, There's the shimmer, which measures an adult's gait, things like that that report back to the physicians. Also engaging your most compliant patients with telemedicine, you can get instant results. It feeds a younger population that may not necessarily want to be seen by the doctor. And certainly if it's more accessible and easier for the patient, they're more apt to approach it. So any venues of healthcare that they can approach easily, instantly, electronically, and directly to the practice, I think is a very good start.
0: Well, Susan, those are great insights. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks again to Susan Childs of Evolution Healthcare Consulting for joining the podcast today. You can hear the MGMA Insider Podcast every Tuesday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to check out our other series, Industry Insights, where we focus on the biggest challenges and topics that medical practice and healthcare professionals face today. MGMA Insights publishes the second and fourth Wednesday of the month. If you have any questions, concerns, or ideas, please shoot us an email at podcast at MGMA.com. I'm Daniel Williams. Thanks for listening.